0: Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. When
1: Marcus in Paul in the morning, morning. Marcus Paul in the morning.
0: Marcus the Paul in the morning. right across Australia when you on the, in the morning, Radio and TuneIn Radio apps.
1: Side, side, side. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul
0: in the morning starts now. Well, good morning. It's nice to have you company, Marcus Paul, in the morning. It's Thursday and it's bloody awful, the weather anyway, depending on where you're listening to us, of course. I think if you're up in Brisbane, it's okay. Further down south in Victoria, not too bad. It's always okay in Darwin, although you're used to late showers and thunderstorms after 30 plus degree days. Uh, but here in uh, in an old Sydney town, and along most of the east coast, uh, between... I guess the, the Hunter region down into the southern highlands and down along the south coast over the next 24, 48 hours, we are expecting a uh, another drenching, you know, hundreds of millimetres of rain, uh, even more in some cases, or well, a couple of hundred anyway. Uh, let's hope the Bureau have got it wrong and let's hope that people who've been affected by these bloody flood events over the last six weeks don't cop it yet again. But I saw last night on the television news, unfortunately, residents in areas in Sydney's west again are starting to pack up. I mean, they're only just finishing cleaning up and putting stuff back since the last big rain event. I wish them all the best and I hope, I hope that the, uh, the rivers don't flood I hope the dam wall at Warragamba doesn't need to be reopened again and that'll cause further issues, of course, further you know, up around the Hawkesbury area and Richmond and Windsor and we don't want that bridge to go under again, all the rest of it. Anyway, the weather is awful at the moment and when's it all going to end when, and what's causing it? Uh, many questions still need to be asked, I think. All right, uh, the latest news, we'll keep you up to date with that this morning, of course, thanks to Air News. As we always do, I'll I'll give you some bite-sized chunks of info, some uh, political stories. Next, though, I'm going to go into a little detail about the latest from Jordan Shanks, a.k.a. Friendly Jordies. You know, Jordan has dropped another big video this week, a bombshell that included allegations backed up by evidence that can be corroborated about well, some more sexual exploits in the halls of power in Canberra. And yet no one in the mainstream media is there to go anywhere near it. No one has touched it. No one wants to know about it. You know, it, uh, it includes current and former serving MPs. And the allegations are that gay sex workers, I'm not making this up, you can't, that gay sex workers were brought into uh, Parliament House, And that, you know, sexual romps or liaisons were undertaken in places, including the bloody parliamentary prayer room. Can you believe that? Anyway, uh, Jordan's done a video which YouTube apparently took down, uh, certainly in Australia, yesterday. Um, That's only because apparently there's been a defamation uh, warning. Um, anyway, we don't know from who, who the complaint is, or the complainant, or, or what exactly is the nature of the complaint, apart from the fact that YouTube have taken it down. Why? What, a- what happened to free speech? Could it be that we're just, you know, days literally away from uh, the, Scott, uh, the Scott Morrison announcement of a, uh, an election date? I still think it's going to be the 22nd of next month. Anyway, all that coming up and more. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's great to have you company on this Thursday. It is the seventh day of April. (laughs) All right, Thursday morning, let's get into it. The juicy stuff first, I think. And our mate Jordan Shanks, AKA Friendly Geordies, released a bombshell video earlier this week, which made allegations about gay sex in the prayer room at Parliament House. Uh, Now, It has apparently been deleted. Well, it certainly has. You can't find it on YouTube. The tech giant taking it down over a defamation complaint. Now, the video making allegations about gay sex acts in the prayer room was removed, although we don't know who the complainant was. Now, Jordan made a series of claims about the acts in Canberra's corridors of power in a clip published earlier this week the prayer room, which shot, I think, straight to number one, the hashtag anyway, in the Twitterverse. The clip was removed by YouTube altogether yesterday afternoon, replaced with a simple message. This content is not available on this country domain due to a defamation complaint. Now, Jordan claimed that he'd been censored by the tech giant. But it's understood a formal complaint has indeed been made on the grounds the contents of the video were both false and defamatory. The specifics of the complaint and the complainant are unknown to us. It's extremely wrong to have a public interest story censored right before an election. We will be taking action, an update coming soon. That's what Jordan had to say yesterday on social media. Now, independent New South Wales State MP and good mate of the program, Helen Dalton, retweeted the YouTube star's post, as have we, the video is still up on my Facebook page. Helen said, I wonder how easy it is for ordinary members of the public to get YouTube to delete videos about them. Well, I think it's a very valid point. And not only making a valid point is Helen Dalton, but also Michael West from Michael West Media. He wrote just 24 hours ago, again, two days on from some blistering claims about LNP operators within the halls of power. There's deafening silence, not a word from the corporate media and the national broadcasters, despite the creeping visions now planted in so many brains, despite the high public interest in this story allegations of senior Liberal Party figures cavorting in the Parliament prayer room with prostitutes. I mean, it's, it's enough, in my mind, to send newspaper editors into a frenzy. And certainly should be, if it's backed up by evidence, which it appears to be, splashed across every front page of each newspaper in the country. But it hasn't been. A little like the Peter Dutton allegations made by Jordan just a couple of months ago. Anyway, allegations sourced, this time from a document, an investigation by the government-aligned law firm Spark Hellmore, and it also includes another raid by the police on a whistleblower, but yet still silence from the corporate media. The document from the law firm Spark Helmore was leaked to Jordan Shanks, who published it and produced a compelling YouTube video on the scandal, which had clearly been vetted by lawyers. Now, this wasn't a whisper from an anonymous source, says Michael West. No dodgy drop by a politician's media advisor either. It was a verifiable document. None of the parties implicated, that is MP Tim Wilson, former Defence Minister Christopher Pine, and others, or for that matter, The investigating law firm Sparkle Helmore, Spark Helmore, I mean, none of them have rebutted the story. Questions have been put by Shanks to the Department of Finance and the various players involved. Proper media and legal protocols had been followed. Although the social media furor, which sent hashtag prayer room rocketing to trend number one on Twitter, focused on the purient aspects of the story, the alleged cavorting in the prayer room. Indeed, the gross hypocrisy of a government which claimed family values as its moral turf, indeed Christian values, the political weighty elements of Shanks' investigation, are perhaps more important to the public interest. Of Course they are. I mean, it also goes to the independence of government agencies. Again, the Australian Federal Police feature. This time it was in raiding the house of a whistleblower by the name of Tom. Now, you might have heard of Tom before. He was the source behind the story about Liberal staffers, and I'm sorry if you're having breakfast, but Liberal staffers masturbating on the desk of a female staffer. He subsequently agreed to cooperate with the spark Helmore investigation. Remember, spark Helmore are the, well, that's the legal firm, the law firm that was engaged by the federal government, by the Liberals. Now, those allegations into desk masturbating brought by Tom had sparked a media pile on and forced the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, to launch an inquiry. Why then the silence now? Silence in the face of far more salacious and far more nationally important claims. Claims which go to the heart of this government's moral degradation and its manipulation of Australia's public agencies for political purposes. Michael West goes on, according to the Shanks video, it was only a few days after the whistleblower Tom agreed to sign a secret court order agreeing to shut up about the desk wanker. Says the video, the AFP raided Tom's offices in Canberra and Queensland and seized his electronic devices on the pretext he was engaged in, quote, revenge porn, unquote. Doing the right thing apparently is now deemed to be revenge porn. Yet another persecution of a whistleblower, yet another attempted cover-up. It was only last year that Jordan and his producer Christo Lanker had been wrongfully, embarrassingly, you know, mixed up with the former deputy premier of New South Wales, John Barolaro. We know that Christo was arrested and prosecuted for stalking. Uh, Barolaro subsequently dropping his defamation case against Shanks and the AFP dropping their prosecution of Christo Lanker. Uh, But as Michael West says, at what cost all of this police, state, skullduggery? A cost to public confidence in our institutions? Tick. Only this week a further stacking of the public service with highly paid jobs for the Liberals, boys and girls. Again, the AAP. There's no doubt that the credibility of government and our public institutions has crumbled over the past nine years of this government meddling, peddling, bullying and hiding things from its electors. As I say, if you haven't seen the video yet, uh, you won't find it on YouTube obviously, uh, but you can go to uh, either my Facebook page or to friendlygeordies.com.au and you can still see it there. Marcus, Paul in the morning. This
1: is Democracy Manifest. This is Democracy Manifest. This Is Democracy Manifest? Get your hand off my penis! What is the charge?
0: All right, a wet old Thursday morning. I hope you're doing okay in all that rain. There was a little bit of uh, uh, contention yesterday, uh, and I've been guilty of it. What the hell is a rain bomb? Where did the term bomb come from? BOM, of course, the Bureau of Meteorology, but BOMB, in reference to a weather pattern. Anyway, uh, there remains uh, the big chance of further heavy downfalls in Sydney and uh, and other areas that have recently been affected by flash flooding and riverine flooding. Uh, My thoughts are with you all. I mean, some people in areas of Sydney's west, including Shane's Park and those areas that tend to flood, I mean, they're already being told to get ready to evacuate. We can only hope uh, that the amount of water that again is forecast doesn't fall. But I don't know, uh, there was someone on Facebook that sent me a note and say, oh, you probably, with what's going on in the Ukraine at the moment, you probably shouldn't uh, fall into the trap of calling it a rain bomb. Yeah, they're probably right. <laughs> Look, yesterday um, in New South Wales, there were just shy of 25,000 new COVID-19 infections. One of those was the New South Wales Health Minister, Brad Hazard. He tested positive to COVID-19. Now, Mr Hazard's office said the minister tested positive on Tuesday night and is suffering minor flu-like symptoms. In the statement it reads, Mr Hazard is in isolation. He developed minor flu-like symptoms overnight and is being managed by the New South Wales Health Virtual Hospital and the Northern Sydney Public Health Unit. The statement also said Mr Hazard was told earlier on Tuesday night a colleague had returned a positive rapid antigen test. Now Mr Hazard also took a rat test which was negative but a subsequent PCR test returned a positive result. I remember a couple of weeks ago for me, when I, I think I was a bit crook, I took a rat, said I was COVID positive, then took a PCR and said I was negative. Anyway, uh, of course, Brad Hazard has been fully vaccinated and said that he intends to continue working virtually. There was some hubbub over the fact that just the day before he tested positive, he was visiting the opening of a new ward at a hospital in New South Wales. He was masked up for most of the time, but on a couple of occasions, when speaking to patients, he removed his mask. We can only hope that these people weren't affected by his positive COVID result. The Liberal Wakehurst MP has been the state's health minister since 2017. And of course he has helped steer the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic, which first hit the state in January of 2020. PCR tests, an abbreviation of uh, polymerase chain reaction, are known to be more reliable than the old rat tests, so it's not unusual for a patient to return a negative rat only to have their coronavirus infection confirmed by a PCR. All right, well, at the moment, We have 1,444 patients in hospital in New South Wales with the coronavirus, although some of those, I'm told, have been hospitalised as well for other reasons. And sadly, in the 24 hours to 8pm on Tuesday, another 15 people, COVID positive, died. Marcus Paul in the morning. Is
1: this a fever? Is this just allergies?
0: Caught in a lockdown, no escape from the family. Don't touch your
1: eyes, just hands sanitize its eyes quickly.
0: Welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, they're calling it the autumn of anarchy with transport and health unions vowing we're not to stop striking ahead of the New South Wales state election. Really, we're still, what, just shy of a year away from state election in New South Wales. We're not too far away from a federal ballot, of course, but major union leaders say the latest round of strikes are just the start of industrial action they will be taking ahead of the New South Wales state election. Union leaders have pledged to unleash renewed havoc on hospitals and the city's transport network in what has been slammed as a political ploy to destabilise the coalition ahead of next year's state election. All right, well, I don't know. I mean, there's certainly been enough noise about it over the last couple of years. That is the privatisation of bus services, the privatisation of almost every bloody thing with a heartbeat. In an escalation to promises made earlier this year to make 2022 the year of the strike, top union leaders have promised every member of parliament will get to know their members amid a commitment to dramatically escalate industrial action. It all comes ahead of the unprecedented in-scale strike of health workers today, as well as a 24-hour shutdown of New South Wales's bus network on Monday amid ongoing pay disputes between unions and Dominic Perrottet's government. Now, uh, General Secretary of the Health Services Union, Gerard Hayes, said we will be engaging in political activity leading up to the budget and depending what happens there, we'll be working toward the latter part of the year. I can absolutely guarantee every member of parliament is going to get to know every single one of my members particularly well over the next 11 months." He added the union would pressure the opposition too, to up health workers' pay ahead of the election. Paramedics, cleaners, allied health workers and security guards will walk off the job for up to four hours today amid the ongoing pay dispute with the state government. Health Minister Brad Hazard said the union had, quote, substantive arguments which the government is trying to address and balance against the state budget needs." Obviously, I think we'd all prefer no strikes, but we will continue to work with the organisations that represent our incredible 140,000 staff who make up the biggest government health agency in the nation. That's what Brad Hazard said yesterday. Uh, The Assistant Secretary of the Transport Workers' Union, Mick Pieri, whose 3,000 bus driver members will launch their 24-hour strike on Monday, said their action, quote, is the start of further strikes. Once we've taken action, we're not going to stop, he said. It's just going to escalate, if anything. Well, the action will impact commuters, um, many commuters from right across Sydney, save a couple of areas around the northern beaches. Anyway, Transport Minister David Elliott, of course, has slammed the protests as a political ploy and he's just playing politics himself with that. He said it's another example of their previously announced year-long campaign against the coalition leading into the election. It's very disappointing that they are so keen to disrupt the lives of commuters. Well. You might think that, David, but what about the workers who think it's very disappointing that their rights aren't being listened to? And for Dominic Perrottet to come out yesterday and say it's an issue between themselves and the operators, well, no, the government's the one that flogged off and privatised bus services across Sydney in particular. Opposition Leader Chris Minns, who said he supported the actions, bristled at the claims it was a political manoeuvre by the union saying, what's more believable, a giant conspiracy theory against the Liberal Party or that nurses just can't pay their mortgages anymore? Hmm. At the end of the day, you can understand the frustration in particular paramedics are going through, he said, of the health workers' protests. I think strike action, of course, is always regrettable, this is Chris Minns, but you've got to look at it from the perspective of frontline workers. It comes as the summer of strikes gives way to the autumn of action, with further industrial action likely beyond next week. Rail, tram and bus union members working for Sydney Trains continue to take low-level industrial action, such as wearing their union shirts instead of their work uniform. But Transport Minister Elliott has managed to stave off one more intense activity with the promise of fair, free travel last month, of course. That'll be happening over Easter. And while members of the New South Wales Teachers Federation settled on not taking strike action in the first term of the year, that agreement, of course, spires very soon. So who knows? Perhaps we could see teachers taking further strike action as term two commences after the Easter break. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> ah. Now this is the live. Smithers, get me some strike breakers. The kind they had in the 30s. Yeah.
1: Full power, Smithers. <laughs>
0: whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have you company on this Thursday. Uh, bite-sized chunks of news in between some great music and, of course, we'll keep you updated on any of the happenings this morning via our good friends at Air News. Well, just further uh, from my last comments on strike action over the coming weeks and months and who knows, a year, um, I refer to a story now written by one of my journalist mates, Callum Foote, who writes for Michael West Independent Media. Marcus, guess how much politicians have jacked up their own pay as they keep a lid on workers' pay? As wages stagnate, prices escalate, and strike action looms, Callum, check to see how the coalition's seminal principle is faring. That is, this principle of a fair go for those that have a go, quote unquote. Well, guess whose wages have risen 12%? And guess whose wages have shot up 34%? In one corner, people who deal with some of the most stressful situations in which a human can be subjected, they come face to face with death every day these people are our healthcare workers, and they have to fight for every extra dollar that they earn. In the other corner, some folks who work hard in their own way, but without getting their hands dirty, they are our politicians, and they have a nice, separate, genteel system of delivering themselves a pay rise, no fighting required there. The New South Wales government, as we know, is facing pressure from nurses, paramedics and other healthcare workers to remove the public service salary cap and increase their wages. According to union demands, it is up to the New South Wales Parliament to remove the public service pay cap in order for health workers' wages to rise. Last week, thousands of nurses, as you know, descended on Sydney CBD as a dispute with the New South Wales government overpaying conditions intensified. New South Wales Health successfully applied to ban the strike at the Industrial Relations Commission. Over the past 14 years, the average wage in Australia has grown by 12%. That's according to the Australian Parliamentary Library. In that same time, the base rate for a New South Wales politician has grown by 34%. Yep, roughly each year. The members of the New South Wales Parliament vote to increase the annual allowance by way of salary, along with other related benefits. In the 14 years for which we have freely available data, New South Wales politicians have chosen to increase their pay 12 times. This has meant that politicians' base allowance has grown from $126,000 to $169,000 since 2008, or approximately by a third. In that same time, the average Australian's pay has only increased by 12%, from $58,000 to $65,000. This puts the ratio between the New South Wales Parliament base rate and the average Australian rate up from 2.1 in 2008 to 2.6 today. Federal politicians, meanwhile, are earning more as well, much more, arriving at a base rate of $211,000 or 3.2 times higher than the national average. Among the other demands made by the New South Wales Nurses Midwives Association last week were improved nurse to patient ratios and of course improved maternity staffing along with fair pay and I think they deserve a pay rise. Marcus Paul in the morning. (coughs) Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, live on starterfm.com.au on, of course, your favourite streaming app, be it iHeartRadio, TuneIn or elsewhere, and of course, daily via our PrawnCast podcast. It's good to have your company. If you want to make contact, do it via the Facebook page, send me a direct message that way, like many of you do, or send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Well, the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet has unloaded on the Liberal Party over that pre-selection failure, the abject failure of the Liberal Party's New South Wales division to pre-select candidates sooner, will make it more difficult to win or hold crucial seats, and that's a warning that comes from New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet. There we go. He sensationally made this declaration just yesterday. Mr Perrottet unloaded on his own party's administrative wing for failing to pre-select candidates in must-win federal seats, describing the factional impasse as an absolute debacle. It's an abject failure of the division not to be in a position whereby there are candidates that the members of the public here in New South Wales can vote for if they want to support a Liberal candidate at the next election. He told ABC Radio yesterday the Premier did not blame the Prime Minister Scott Morrison for the impasse which prevented candidates being selected. However, multiple uh, multiple Liberal sources involved in selecting candidates have repeatedly blamed Scott Morrison's right-hand man for the delay. They have previously accused Immigration Minister Alex Hawke who represents the PM on the Liberal Party State Executive, of refusing to attend nomination review committee meetings, which are required to vet candidates ahead of selection. Candidates in 12 New South Wales seats have finally been confirmed after the Prime Minister saw off that legal challenge to their validity, as we know. But Dominic Perrottet said this delay could hurt the party's election chances. It's less than ideal to not give candidates an opportunity to be on the ground campaigning in local areas. The election is going to get called any day now, and we only finally have candidates in many states being endorsed. It's not much lead up time. That's according to the New South Wales Premier. Uh, Mr Perrottet also said the government would make affordable flood insurance a priority as it works to rebuild devastated Lismore it's been six weeks now, we've had a second flood events. There's a lot of pain on the ground, but there's also a lot of progress. The cleanup is well underway, said Mr. Perrottet. The devastation is significant, but the spirits are high, and I think that's because progress is being made. Well, in the long term, with the rebuild, we need to make sure our communities come back stronger than they were before. That's going to be a challenge and it needs to be done the right way. Of course, Mr. Perrottet, Again, making Lismore almost his second home. He was there with former Police Commissioner Mick Fuller and Professor Mary O'Kane. Of course, those two are leading the government's inquiry into flood management and prevention. Now, Mr Perrottet also took a swipe at Prime Minister Scott Morrison, saying he was not getting the best advice on flood management and funding after ScoMo said he would only provide funding for communities that have been impacted by a one in 500 year flood. Well, I'm sorry, Uh, aren't we having those every couple of weeks now? Anyway, uh, that's just a little uh, politics of the last 24 hours, just on uh, the New South Wales flood response. Uh, Well done to Walt Secord and those in the New South Wales opposition absolutely piling on. Uh, and he looked like a deer in the headlights, Stuart Ayres. Uh, he and the emergency services minister were copping a grilling yesterday at the uh, parliamentary budget uh, hearings in New South Wales, in Sydney on Macquarie Street. And I think some very important questions were asked. And I, for one, uh, and I don't understand why, but you know, Stuart Ayres at the moment to me is coming off as extremely arrogant, uh, non-caring almost. Anyway, well done to Walt and the team for giving them the grilling that they deserve. Let's hope they improve. Um, The way floods, I mean, I know we've got this inquiry ongoing and and that's fine, but sometimes I worry about these inquiries uh, that, you know, the inquisitors are handpicked by governments. You know, why couldn't we make it far more independent? Anyway, that's my say on it. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have you (laughs) come. Yeah, Marcus. Fall in the morning. Well, while petrol prices continue to stabilise and, and go down, thank goodness, um, because of course of the halving of the fuel excise by the federal government in their election promise. Okay, one tick. That's good. Um, you watch though. Miraculously, they'll increase just a, a smidge as we head into the Easter long weekend. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Anyway, but petrol prices overall are coming down, which is good news. That'll help with the cost of living. But I, I read last night that the cost of domestic flights are reaching a two-year high, with some routes more than doubling in price. And while we finally have the freedom and confidence to travel, now the cost is plain ridiculous, pun intended. Well, what's figured? Uh, what's triggered the, the blowout, if you like? New official figures show domestic airfares have shot up by a third in just the past month to be the most expensive since 2019-20 mainly because of Russian President Vladimir Putin and also apparently Western Australia's Premier Mark McGowan. Data from the Federal Government's Bureau of Infrastructure and Transport Research Economics (laughs) shows a 32% jump in March compared to February for the cheapest tickets. They haven't been this high, as I said, since uh, late 2019 into 2020. Sydney to the Sunshine Coast and return, the cheapest used to be, earlier this year, $127. bucks. they have increased by 220%, $279 now. To the Goldie in return, so into Cooling Gatta, the cheapest in February was $90. It's now $190, a 111% increase. Uh, Sydney to Cairns return has increased by 83%. Melbourne return increased by 31%. And of course, the Melbourne trip, Sydney to Melbourne, is uh, not only the most frequent route in Australia, but one of the busiest in the world. Anyway, but what about this? If you want to travel from Sydney to Launceston return, you're looking at $404.00. That's a 173% increase since February. According to the numbers, the least costly return flight has more than doubled to what it was in February on average, on average, some obviously a little less. Anyway, the news is a little better as well on the international front. Return economy seats to Auckland at Easter will set you back a minimum of 1,860 bucks. And fares to Bali, which has recently re- reopened to Australians, will cost you around the same, 1860 bucks. You... A major factor behind soaring ticket prices is a blowout in the cost of aviation fuel caused by bans on Russian oil following, of course, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The International Air Transport Association's Asia and Oceania jet fuel price index is up 110% on a year ago and fuel can be as much as a third of the expense of operating a flight. The only positive in all of this data is that the jet fuel price surge appears to have peaked with costs slightly down on last week. Now former Qantas chief economist and now University of New South Wales academic Tony Weber said airlines had to recover some of their increased fuel bills. Mr Weber said another cause of high affairs was the very strong rebound in demand versus limited supply. He said the trigger for the jump in demand had been the comments of Mark McGowan. When the WA Premier came out and said, let it all hang out, that's when a lot of confidence returned. You know, he was the stubborn one, according to this academic. Mr Weber also said more people were looking to travel due to their growing confidence in the general strength of the economy. Well, are you travelling, particularly over Easter, hopping on a plane? Let me know, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or leave your comments on our Facebook page. First we got hit with COVID. Now we got to deal with gasoline If you would like to sponsor the program, you can drop me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. It was great catching up with Greg Urand just yesterday, one of my sponsors. Uh, And we had a good old chat about the business of which he is a part of, helping other businesses, the alternative board. It was a good chat. So all business owners, it is time to ask yourself a few important questions as a business owner You often start with a vision of what your business will allow you to achieve in your personal life. We know that. But the day-to-day realities of running your business takes over, and sometimes you lose track of how your working life should be aligned with achieving your personal vision of success. You need to ask yourself a bunch of questions. Are you ready to take your business to an entirely new level? Who is in control, you or your business? How are you at balancing your business and personal lives? Do you need help seeing the opportunities available to you? Do you feel like you're fighting fires all alone? And where do you turn to for the truth about your business? Well, to help answer these and many other important questions, you need the expert advice available from the team at the alternative board. The Alternative Board helps forward-thinking business owners increase their profitability and improve their lives by leveraging local business advisory boards, private business coaching, and proprietary strategic services. You really must speak to them today. So what are you waiting for? Call Greg and the team at the Alternative Board to learn more about their invitation-only membership model and how it may be able to help you with your business. Connect today. I mean, it's your business, so why wait? The Alternative Board is exactly what your business needs now. Call Greg Urand for all the details, 0400 858 190. That's 0400 858 190. The Alternative Board helping your business be all that it can be. Yeah, Thursday morning. Nice to have you company, Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, I was a little cheeky. I put a post up of a um, a screenshot taken from a TikTok from Madonna of all people. Uh, I love Madonna's music. I've always loved her 80s pop style and all the rest of it. But I just think she should give it away. Um, maybe not with the music, I don't know, but uh, certainly the appearances, because what I saw on TikTok was bizarre. She looks like a corpse. I'm sorry. <laughs> she does. A material... A material... A material... A material... A material... A material corpse. If you haven't seen the, uh, the photo or the video, uh, have a look on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, just back to uh, the earlier story I mentioned regarding the allegations made by friendly Geordies and that whistleblower Tom into you know, some really unsavory acts that were alleged to have occurred involving a number of MPs, a former MP and Christopher Pine, uh, Tim Wilson MP and others, involving you know gay prostitutes being brought into the halls of power in Canberra. I mean Australians do deserve to know. Sigh sent me this. Australians deserve to know. Did the Australian Federal Police raid a whistleblower's home under false pretenses, use domestic violence laws to justify the raid, take instruction from the Liberal National Party to seize and cover up damaging information, and did they intimidate and traumatise their neurodivergent daughter while she was home alone? Yeah, well, these are some important questions, and you're right, Si, they do need to be answered. But will they be before the election? I wouldn't bet the House on it. All right, meanwhile, David Shoebridge has been in touch. Uh, the Green from New South Wales, who has recently announced his resignation and um, is going to run for a Senate seat in Canberra. But I'll continue liaising and speaking with David on this program from time to time. Anyway, he sent me a note, Marcus, imagine only being allowed to have a protest if the police agreed. He writes, we've all seen what happens when police have the power to veto protests in Moscow and Beijing. Now, they have been given that same power to veto an arrest at Sydney's town hall. Now, apparently... The Coalition in New South Wales, with Labor's help, has just made it a crime to protest near, in inverted commas, Town Hall Station, if that in any way obstructs people attempting to enter or causes them to be redirected. I mean, that happens all the time with major protests in Sydney. Town Hall is the centre of the city. Town Hall is somewhere... You know, where the old town crier used to make announcements from. Uh, how on earth is this right? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds of this. While I'm, I'm on the record of not fully supporting um, the ridiculous actions, and they were at it again yesterday, holding up traffic in the middle of the city. I, I just think it's wrong the way they're going about it. Why not scream and shout from the steps of town hall? You can't even do that anymore, apparently. Um... Yeah, well, anyway, but, but the Blockade Australia people and the others that I spoke about are at it again yesterday, lying down on busy roads, I think this time around Lilyfield, going through the City West Link. Now, that's a shithole at the best of times to travel through. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, with all the roadworks and the traffic, it's just a bottleneck, a nightmare. And God knows when any of this stuff will be finished. It's already bad enough, but for people to lie down again in front of trucks and traffic and obstruct everybody getting to work, I'm sorry. I'm just not on board with that sort sort of protesting. I understand what they're protesting about, and I even support that. But do it at an appropriate venue, and rather than, uh, in my opinion, putting people offside by lying down in traffic again, you're placing other people's lives at risk. That's what I make of it anyway. All right, well, um, again, protests, we have a right to do it, but you need to, I guess, do it lawfully. But do you agree with David Shoebridge and others who suggest that, well, the right to protest is being clamped down on in Australia, in New South Wales in particular? Let me know. Marcus.Paul at (laughs) starterfm.com.au All right, well, that's about it for me for this Thursday. It's been wonderful having you company. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Bite-sized chunks of uh, news and a bit of my opinion. And, of course, I always welcome yours. You can drop me a note anytime or comments on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning. Um, I've started to pick up the activity on that over the last day or so as well. Um, Think of uh, those who will be affected by the continuation of this rain event. I won't call it a bomb. This rain event over a lot of the East Coast over the next, uh, certainly, 24 hours. Let's hope um, there's not as much rain falling as what the Bureau have forecast. But again, uh, my heart goes out to those in riverine areas that have already copped it too much. Well, and truly, too much and what about also, you know, tradies and others that, uh, you know, are reliant on a decent spell of dry weather to get, you know, work complete. I I shudder to think how many um, construction sites are behind schedule because of all of this rain. I mean, I know that's, I mean, it's still important. It employs people and all the rest of it. Um, I guess people can wait a little bit longer to have their homes constructed uh, when they're seeing people having their homes demolished by floods. Anyway, our thank you again to the Angels in Orange, the State Emergency Services continually doing that wonderful work that they do. Most of them volunteers. So we thank them again. Best of luck to everybody in those areas affected by floods. Let's hope they don't have to open up those damn walls at Warragamba. Damn wall. We'll see what happens though as we lead into the weekend. The good news is uh, well, there is a uh, a silver lining to all of this rain again and that is that it's not expected to stick around as the last of it. Um, things are super- apparently supposed to start clearing up by tomorrow afternoon and we should have at ease certainly by the weekend. Let's keep our fingers crossed. All right, we'll be back tomorrow between 7 and 9 on starterfm.com.au on your favourite uh, streaming app, iHeartRadio, uh, in and the like, and, of course, the Prawncast. That'll be dropping each day a little later in the afternoon so you can listen back to the programme. And please, as always, feel free to share it on your socials. Marcus, Paul in the morning. Have a great day. We'll catch you tomorrow between 7 and 9. Bye now.
1: Gas prices are going up again, and you know what that means. A hastily made story about it on your local 5 o'clock news. We'll start with a still shot of the gas station sign, obviously. Then someone open up the gas tank and put the thing in. Next, we're going to do a shot of the price ticker as they fill up with gas. After that, we'll probably just interview someone at the gas station and ask them very leading questions to get them to make the situation sound way more extreme than it actually is like this. I can't afford to go to the grocery store. Anymore. I can't afford food anymore. Usually, after work on a Friday, I go down to Chili's and get a cold beer, maybe a two for 20. But now, with gas prices being the way they are, I can't even afford that. After that, we'll show some more shots of the person we just interviewed getting gas and maybe showing them looking frustrated like this or maybe like this. Not yet convinced that the world is ending tomorrow? How about another doomsday soundbite? I mean, at this point, I'm honestly thinking about maybe, you know, taking out a second mortgage on my house or selling one of my kidneys or something. Then we'll conclude by telling you to tune back in at 10 p.m. to literally watch the exact same story again.